Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 150 of F-Stop, Collaborate, and Listen. This week's episode features a fantastic landscape photographer from Santa Rosa, California, Brenda Tharp. Brenda is a full-time photographer, educator, and speaker with a passion for the natural world. Her landscape and nature photographs have been used by Apple, Nature Conservancy, and the National Park Service, and she is a contributor to many books and magazines. We covered a wide variety of topics, including expressive nature photography, finding your voice, the art of seeing, seeking images in iconic places, recognizing the potential of a place, and her latest book on expressive nature photography. Over on Patreon this week, join Brenda and I for discussion on studying the masters of landscape photography and how that can positively impact your photography. Additionally, Brenda is offering a discount on her book for patrons of the podcast, so if you're interested in purchasing it, head to Patreon to get a link to that discount. You can support the podcast, support Brenda, and get an awesome book. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know about a special opportunity to meet me at the upcoming Nightscaper Conference in Kanab, Utah from May 20th to May 22nd. If you listened to my recent episode with Royce Bear, you'll know that the conference is going to be incredible. Royce has assembled the world's best night photographers for an amazing experience that surely won't disappoint. I'll also be doing some fun podcasting and panel discussions at the conference. So if you're interested, head over to nightscaper.weebly.com or find the link in the liner notes. Also, you can use the code PAYNE100, that's P-A-Y-N-E-1-0-0, for a $100 discount on the conference. I hope to see you there. Okay, let's get to the show. Well, Brenda Tharp, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, really. I'm I'm excited that we were able to to finally pull this off. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um I want to say you've been recommended several times and um you come 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 recommended from some people that I highly admire, so that must mean that you're a pretty awesome person. <laughs> well, if I might say so myself, no, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm actually, if I might say so, I'm truly honored that people are recommending me. Um, it's just, you never know who you're reaching out to and touching with your life and your photography. Yeah. So it's always a good feeling to know that people have said good things about you, right? Yes. Um, most, most of the time yeah. people say bad things about me. So, and I, I, I don't mind, so it's fine. <laughs> you um, have a thick skin. Yeah, exactly. You kind of have to be in the, the work that I used, usually am doing outside of photography. So, um, well, so for people that don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself. That would be a greater percentage of the world, I would think, that don't know who I am. We like to think we have far-reaching exposure, but you never know. Um, but I make my living full-time from photography, and I have for a very long time, and it's been a real mix 
of things that I've done to keep in the business and keep food on the table. And currently, I live with my partner in Santa Rosa, California. We are looking to move perhaps out of the Bay Area because we want to also surround ourselves with a bit more nature than what we are having around us at the moment. Mm. So um, we're looking to that. But at the moment, for the while, we are in Santa Rosa and it's just the two of us. Uh, He is also a photographer. So that makes it a lot of fun. We get to share no some adventures together. Yeah, yeah. And some separate, but we uh, we just got back. In fact, we were down in um, a refuge in the Central Valley. We were photographing the annual migration of snow geese and sandhill cranes and all of the other water birds that were there. And it was just amazing, truly amazing. I was actually just there myself. It's it's a great experience, isn't it? It was awesome. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I've never really seen different. more birds in my entire life. It was well, insane. and it's the it's the experience. It's the sounds, the sight, and <clears throat> I have had the opportunity to go several times, and I've got pictures, beautiful pictures of a mass liftoff of hundreds of thousands of birds taking to the sky. And my partner had never gotten to see that. And we had an amazing day. And it was literally just a quick drive down, spend a whole day and come back. We stayed overnight. And it was terrific because they did that thing they do several times. And it was Oh my gosh, it was just overwhelming, even for me. And I have seen it before. I never grow tired of that nature experience. So Mm. it was great. Yeah. So uh, how did you find yourself in photography? Like, how did you come to this career path? Well, it's really all because of my dad. And my mom was a part of it too. But um, when I was growing up in the house that I grew up in, in New Jersey, North Central New Jersey. My dad had built the house and he built a dark room in the basement that he never quite finished. It was always missing the plumbing. Um, but he went to work to, and he was growing a family, so he didn't have time. But he took photographs. He always had a camera with him when we went on vacations together as a family. And he was doing pretty much the documenting of the scene and the family in the scene. So quite often there would be the picture of Delaware Water Gap, and then we would be somewhere in that photo looking out into the gap or looking at the camera, you know. And then right. he would he would also do the, the scene without us sometimes too. But he just, because he had a camera and because we were an outdoor family, we went all over sightseeing and we hiked and we camped because of that. And because of his always having a camera with him, it just was very natural for me. And I became interested. So, you know, I got brownie cameras and Instamatics and all the things I'm dating myself now, but all those things that we started with early on, that were just a lot of fun. So I was going to say, my, my, yeah, gonna say my first camera was like a Kodak disc camera, which probably dates me as well. Wow. Yeah. 
Well, <laughs> the in, the little brownie cameras were pretty cool, but black and white. And I started taking my younger sister. We had a pretty good size yard, and I'd take her and put her out on a big rock in the woods, and I'd make a picture of her in surrounded by nature. And then I started getting her out of the picture and just photographing the rock surrounded by mm. trees. And then it was right. leaves and flowers, you know, and it just kind of grew from there. And then as I got old enough and we were going on, dad and I, and a couple times, some of my other sisters would go backpacking. Dad really loved to backpack. And so we did quite a bit of the long trail in Vermont oh. and, and a lot of sections of the Appalachian Trail in piecemeal over time from the down in the Shenandoah area all the way up into Maine. So we had really terrific experiences outdoors. And um, I started, you know, having I get his hand me down cameras all the time, but I started going with him and we would make pictures together. The the irony is, however, that dad was one of these sort of type A personalities where when we set out on the hike, it was important to him how long it took us to get to the peak. Mm-hmm. And so when I, he would usually be ahead of me because I'd stop to photograph some beautiful cluster of uh, lady slippers that were in bloom or something or some pattern in the leaves, you know, and, and he would be up the trail and, and I would catch up and he'd say, oh, well, we did it in 27 minutes. Not bad, you know, and I'd say, yeah, but dad, did you see those lady slippers? They were beautiful. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't. You know, <laughs> right. So over time, I think I had I I taught him to slow down and start to enjoy the hike and see the things and photograph the things along the way. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I got my start um, in photography by mountain climbing in Colorado, and I always when I started getting more and more into photography, I always found myself having kind of this internal battle in my brain, like. Oh, I got to stop and photograph that. That's beautiful. No, you got to get to the top before the lightning storm comes. And I was always like, like constantly battling myself, like, no, get to the top. No, stop and take a picture. (laughs) I hear you completely because even though I might've taught him to slow down a little bit, he is in me. And so I struggle with that same thing and not knowing, well, of course, lightning is a big thing. You definitely want to get to the top and get off the peak before the lightning storms come. But, right. you know, that that whole thing about getting somewhere and, and the destination being important and struggling with the pictures that you can make on the journey, I still have that. And, and it's it's never gone away. And Sometimes it works in my favor and other times, as you and I probably both know, it doesn't. So you have to, you have to make your decision and, and sort of choose if it's a really killer shot along the way, maybe it's worth doing that and not getting to the peak. But I think you like to, you like to have bag those peaks, as they say, right? All the 14ers and so forth. Yeah, I've done all the 14ers. I've done the, I've actually climbed the highest hundred mountains in Colorado, but, uh, wow. Yeah, it's, um, it's funny because I, I found kind of the magic, <clears throat> the magical way to do it is, um, if you can, if you can climb to the top before the sun comes out, 
Yeah. And you don't have to worry about taking pictures on the way, really. And then, you know, you can take a really beautiful shot at sunrise. And then you can take your time getting down because it's still pretty early in the day. (laughs) That's a great idea. You know, when I lived in Colorado, and I did, I left New Jersey in, uh, when did I leave? 1984 and um, moved to Boulder, to Northeast Mm. Boulder. And I was still working for uh, Hewlett Packard at the time. And I transferred with them, but my photography was really calling to me a lot. And anyway, I um, taking a photograph, there was a, a place I wanted to go, and the name of it is going to elude me now. <clears throat> but in order to get to the lake, and I think it was called Lily Lake, mm. um, in order to get there for sunrise, I had to leave my campground at three in the morning. (laughs) And so I chose to do it on a moonlit full moon night. Uh And it was the most magical hike I had for a while until I heard voices. (laughs) I did. I heard voices, deep sort of low male voices. And it, I was a little freaked out because they were starting to get louder and I was a woman walking alone and I didn't even think about the fact that there were hunters out and about and that's all it was. But I dove into the woods far enough off the track that nobody knew I was there. And when they went by, they had bows and whatever they had, you know, but it was like, okay, but it, it just, it really freaked me out (laughs) because I was enjoying this magical walk. It was so peaceful. And then all of a sudden there was that, you know, but I was safe. It was fine. And later after the light came up, I I think I ran into them on the trail back down or something. (laughs) So they were all safe. (laughs) For some reason, I thought you were going to say that when you were by yourself, you just started hearing voices in your head, which I do that too. So that's why I was, that's why I laughed. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that, that happens occasionally too. You know, you start getting, you're, you're in, when you're in nature like that, so much can happen. And if you just release, you start thinking a lot and the voices that we're hearing may be thoughts more than actual voice, but it's still deep thinking for me to be just out in it and to be out there by myself. So that's why I was a little bit shaken by the fact that suddenly I wasn't alone. It was like, wait, this was my place. (laughs) (laughs) See, when I'm, when I'm alone in the dark hiking, uh, in the forest, uh, I'm tend to, my voices are all anxiety. <laughs> it's like, uh, Oh, is that, is that a mountain lion? Is that a mountain lion? Is that a bear? Uh, <laughs> did you walk faster? <laughs> like that's, that, those are the voices that I get. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> well, so speaking of, you know, spending a lot of time in nature and, and, and experiencing that, tell me a little bit about <clears throat> expressive nature photography. Like what is that for you? Well, for me, it's, it's trying to make photographs that translate what I'm feeling when I'm out making the photographs. Mm-hmm. And it starts with first reacting to something that I see. 
wow, isn't that beautiful? Look at the texture of those leaves or look at the way the light is streaming across the hoodoos, you know, wherever it is. And, and it's that getting in touch with those feelings and that feeling of awe and wonder that I want to translate into through my photographs so that when viewers see them, they resonate. They can feel a little bit of what I might have been feeling when mm -hmm. I was there. And yeah. that's really hard to do. I mean, I think many of us want to do that. You know, I look at your pictures and I'm there with you on those mountains. And I long to be there physically because they can take your breath away. And they and yours often do. I look at them and say, oh, gosh, I wish I had been there for that experience. Well, so yeah, <laughs> I, I think we, we, we can do it if we are in touch with and feeling the love, you know, for lack of a better yeah. phrase, but it's yeah. really feeling it. And so that's what I want my pictures to do. Yeah. I love that. Um, I've, I have struggled with that because, um, and we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast before, but I'm starting to come to the conclusion that um, I think I'm doing that, but I'm not, necessarily consciously aware of it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so i wonder if for you is it something that you're very aware like oh i am feeling this therefore i'm going to express it through my photos in this way or for you is it more oh my god i'm feeling this i need to take a picture and then it just comes out i think it's the latter okay um and, and if if I'm hoping that that's the case because the photograph, I mean, and yes, I might be saying, oh my gosh, look at the texture on that. Right. Okay. That is my emotional connection to what I've just seen. And that's my expression out loud. Usually I'll do it out right. loud, uh, whether I'm there with people or not, you know, because it's just, holy cow, look at that. And then I set about doing whatever technical things I need to do to try and bring that out. So it's really a marriage of, of craft and vision. You know, you have to have both in order to, for the results to hopefully ex be expressive and express what you're trying to say in what you saw and what you felt about what you saw. But it's not I, I, I don't want to be too analytical about it because then you're back in that left brain and you're not so much in the emotional resonance space that I think is really good when you're photographing. If you want to really translate your feelings, you need to make sure that you maintain that feeling. So it kind of, you, for me, it's kind of a bouncing back and forth. I say, wow that is awesome. I've got to photograph this. Mm -hmm. And I no longer necessarily say why I just intuitively know. And that comes from years and years of just letting myself respond to what's there and, mm -hmm. and accepting the gift that I was just given in the scene, whether it's an intimate landscape, a macro grand landscape, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm careful that I'll go about the technical to make sure I've got the right aperture and the right shutter speed. I'll find the right point of view to, I think, express what I'm seeing the, the best and make sure all the technical stuff is in place. But I step back from that 
to really reconnect with the moment again, Mm. if you will, Mm. to make sure that I'm still feeling it. Because if I get too caught up in all the technical, then I can lose sight of what excited me, you know, in the beginning. Yeah. And I want to make sure that doesn't happen. So it really is sort of this bouncing back and forth between the heart and the brain. Mm. I I love that. You know, we've we've talked about this this idea on the podcast before, but this is perhaps the first time that I didn't find myself saying, that sounds really good, but I've never experienced that. And this time, the way that you described it, I'm like, yeah, that happens for me all the time. So I don't know what's different about how you described it, but it <clears throat> definitely resonated with, with me and how I approach photography well, for sure. Good. So. I'm glad. And and I think that that's, I think that's really, a lot of us are trying to do just that. You know, I, I mean, many of the photographers that I know and whose work I respect and, and whose work resonates with me, I'm sure it's because they're out there just like you and I are going, oh man, this is just amazing. Mm -hmm. And you're feeling the air and you're feeling the warmth of the sun or you're feeling how freezing cold it is, you know, whatever it is, you're feeling it, you're in it, you're surrounded by nature, you're in whatever the moment of light or the moment of discovery is. And it doesn't get better than that. Yeah. So we're in our happy place, you know, and, <laughs> and I think it comes out through the photography as a result of that. Yeah, definitely. It's funny. Uh, I was recently in the Yosemite Valley and I did a hike with my friend, Michael Rung, and we we were just hiking around along the trail uh, up to Mariposa Grove. And, you know, it was blue skies um, fairly early in the morning and and I just found this flat boulder that was covered in moss. And I was like, well, and I got really close to it. And I was like, holy crap, There's it looks like there's hairs growing like in the moss itself. And, mm-hmm. and then I got my camera out and I started like looking closer and taking images. And I was just, I think I photographed that boulder for 20, 30 minutes, you know, is just, and those are the, those are the less obvious scenes that, you know, five, six years ago, I totally would have passed up and been like, Oh, there's a boulder with a moss with moss. I got to keep going. Cause I have to get to that waterfall that I, that I'm here for, you know, like, yeah. So yeah. It's interesting. Um, how the way we see, uh, the landscape shifts as we get more experienced. And I think there's kind of an artistry to seeing um, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I agree. I think that, um, first off, I think it's really, excuse me, it's really good to, it's to have a plan when you want to achieve a certain photograph, then you need to have a plan to get there at the right time and, and know what, what, what issues there might be like when is the moon coming up over the the mountain is it ever going to sh- you know shine on the uh, the scene that i that i want to photograph or not you know and there's all those things that are important but there's also this idea of of letting yourself go to be in nature and and choose times to not have a specific destination and let 
nature show itself to you wherever you are and spend time. I mean, you spent valuable time with that mossy boulder. Right. And and whether or not you got a killer photo out of it matters so little compared to the expansion of your joy and the discovery of looking closer and saying, how cool is that, that that's in there? Right. And and I think that that being freer like that often increases our ability to be artistic. I don't know if that directly answers the question you had or not, but I, I just think that we see, we've all seen formula approaches and they work. There are, you look on the internet and you, you see classic approaches to the big landscape and to some other even intimate landscapes. They, it's almost formula. I'm seeing many of the same things and and they might be technically really great but they're what i'd call cookie cutter for sure um we've seen so many like it and i think the artistry comes out when you find something that's fresh and new and and if you can be the first one to do it then at least you're not the cookie cutter copycatter <laughs> <You know? laughs> there there is that <laughs> Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there is an element of, you know, if you want, if if being original is important to you, and if your work being a creative expression is important to you, I think that that approach to photography can definitely be a rewarding one. I think it's funny that you talk about the cookie cutter, because it's immediately I'm drawn to uh, near far, you know, you've got this big... Uh, you know, flower or cactus in the foreground or whatever. And then you've got a, a mountain in the background and there's probably mm -hmm. some, there's probably some perspective blending done so that the mountain looks bigger than it actually was in the, in the actual image of the, of the foreground image. And it's just this formula. And of course there's gotta be epic light with amazing clouds. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's like, yeah, we've seen that before. Cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, like you can only see so much of that kind of stuff before it's like, show me something that's different. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'll leave the magazine um, out of this, but I had recently seen something, a post where the, yeah, the photographer was saying, seriously, how many covers you know, just basically showing a series of covers that were all pretty much the same approach, the yeah. same kind of photograph. And and I love that near-far relationship in a landscape. I mean, it's oh, what 100%. gives depth to our, our image. It's what it, that, that near object is the stepping stone visually for people to enter our space and, and, and then move into the background. And so, you, you know, it works. But you can do it in your own way and you can do it realistically and still have it be stunning, just, you know, really beautiful and successful as a result. But I, I've seen an increase in the, it's the wow factor. It's and it's a lot to do with the internet, you know. That by by sharing, you know, how many likes we get, how many hearts, and all of that, and so the it's increased that effort to just 
create a wow factor in your image that is not necessarily true. Right. It kind of reminds me of, uh, this is, this, this is going to make sense when I'm done, but there was a, uh, Simpsons episode way back in the day <laughs> where Homer Simpson, for some reason, I don't even remember that, how this happened, but he got permission to like design his own car uh-huh. for the automakers in Detroit. And, and he designed this car that had like 25 cup holders and like <laughs> it had like 12 seats and it was just ridiculous, you know? And like every time I see an image like that, I think of that episode of the Simpsons where it's like, yeah, you just made like this most ridiculous image that doesn't exist. And, you yeah. know, and you did it yeah. just to like make people's heads explode and go, holy shit, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Um, and but, I but want, good- I, yeah, I want to do that. I want to make that. And then you're yeah. frustrated because a lot of, a lot of people that see it, they're frustrated because they can't ever get their pictures to look like that. Yeah. That's because well, those yeah. pictures don't exist. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, you're like me, I think just also the joy of, of, and the, the pride of the effort. I mean, nobody cares that it took you 14 hours to hike to the top of the mountain or that right. I slogged through the swamp. I have a favorite picture of mine from Yosemite and the picture is abstract. It's it's the Merced River flowing and it's blues and greens because the green was the reflection of the shoreline trees and the blue sky. And it hit a, under a submerged rock and created this lovely crest of a wave. Yeah. And and it's it's absolutely lovely. I mean, it's one of my favorites and it's one of many people's favorites. It's sold well for me. Nobody knows that I came home with 45 mosquito bites and I'm counting. I'm I'm serious because I counted (laughs) them. I mean, I was miserable. I didn't have any, I mean, I was out there in shorts. I didn't even think about mosquitoes. And at four o'clock in the afternoon, they come out and they are really hungry. And I was not going to leave that spot. And I was shooting film and I had to keep shooting. I shot an entire roll of film because I really didn't know what I was getting. So I was varying the shutter speed, you know, trying to time it when the wave kind of came up and frothed a little. And, and I didn't know what I had till I got home, but you know, the picture doesn't express that. It expresses flow and purity and, and tranquility and peace and all those good things. <laughs> the, the story behind the scene is that I was slapping away in between hitting that remote release. <laughs> right. The The emotion I'm trying to express with this image is misery. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, so sometimes the story behind the picture is pretty funny. But, you know, I, I was I was really proud of the results that I got. I got a couple of keepers out of that role, but one in particular went on to become a limited edition print for me. And, and it just, you know, it brings back memories of Yosemite, but it also brings back those mosquito bites for me when I look at it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I don't put that in the story when I put that picture (laughs) up for sale. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so what what is what is the process that you followed to kind of hone in and develop your style of photography and, and your voice as an artist? Ooh, loaded question. Um, <laughs> because I feel I really feel like I've been sort of in a boat with 
out a rudder. <laughs> mm. um, you know, it, you, it, I'll, I'll step back and this will make sense. When I, when I was working for Hewlett Packard in New Jersey, I was always in my spare time going out and photographing nature. And I did things like lying down under a hedge on the property of Hewlett Packard to be eye level with a nest of morning doves. And they were coming in and they were feeding their young. And I spent four and a half hours lying down under a hedge to get the shot. Um, But that shot won me a first place in the New Jersey League of Conservation Scientists or some long name like that. And I thought I'm on my way. But I kept working because that was my job. And my family thought photography was a hobby. I mean, Mm -hmm. so I wasn't taking it serious either because I had no role models other than looking at National Geographic or Life magazine. And that was very documentary, very photojournalistic. Mm -hmm. So it didn't really relate to my love for nature photography. Well, I had a lot of things happen in my life, marriage, divorce, my mother dying and so forth, dad remarrying or announcing he was going to. And I felt like I was just shriveling up on the vine in this little town of Rockaway, New Jersey. And so I thought, I got to get out of here. And I read an article on the Milford track in New Zealand. And it was a first person account of a hike. And I was in my eye doctor's office and I was like, I was just there with this person. I thought I'm doing this. I am so doing this. And then I got called in for the fitting for my contact lenses. And when I came out, I thought, well, I'm coming back in three days. I'll finish the article then. And the magazine was gone. Oh no! And I I panicked (laughs) because all the details about how you would make this happen were there and we didn't have internet back then. So it was like, this is going to take a long research in the library to figure out who to write to and the whole bit. So anyway, my friend, uh, his father was an auto mechanic and they had the magazine in their auto shop and I got to finish the article. And within two weeks I had booked my one way hike on the Milford track and, and an additional three weeks to just tootle around the South and the North Island. Mm. And that was a life-changing event for me. My photography sucked. It was so bad. And I mean, I was doing better, you know, until I left for that trip. I, I was traveling light because I was staying in hostels and I was backpacking and you know how that is. It's like food or a lens. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, you yeah. always have to make those choices, right? Absolutely. So I but it was a trip of self-discovery. And so the pictures were snapshots of here I am along the stream, this beautiful stream, but I wasn't, I I wasn't there for photography as it turns out. And so uh, one of these days I'm going to get back there because I loved the country. It was just amazing. And I have such good memories of it. So anyway, a rapid forward, I came back to New Jersey and I told my family that I loved them, that I was moving west and mm. with the wagon trains, you know. And um, and so... <laughs> and I, your stone tablets. Right, right. And I thought, okay, now that I've said this, what does this really mean? And And so I literally was going to move to Colorado and start photography. And family and friends talked some 
what they thought talked sense into me about, (laughs) no, 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 stay with the company, transfer out with the company, and then see how you like living in Colorado. And then you can always quit if you still want to do this. And that made some good fiscal sense. So I transferred with the company and that's how I ended up in Colorado. And I was only out there six months before I woke up one morning and said, it's time. I should have done it the way I wanted. And I went into personnel, um, HR is called now, but I went into the office and I explained my predicament and they just said, go with our blessing. And they were really keen on me following my heart, which, you know, that says a lot for that company way back then. They really wanted you to pursue your passion. And so I did. And so within six months of moving to Colorado, I had quit my corporate job and went from a nice salary to zero salary and then had to figure out what being a photographer meant. And I didn't really have any- That sounds a little stressful. Oh, it was. Well, if you, the more you get to know me, the more you'll realize that I tend to do radical changes like that. I get this idea and it starts to just build in me and then I burst through the gate. And um, it seems like it's the, it, at least it's been my habit as it's the way for me to take that risk is to just jump and go for it. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And then people started saying, oh, you can't make a living off nature photography. And I thought, oh, crap. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> what do I do now? So um, I did everything. And, and, and getting my business going and staying alive, I photographed all sorts of things. I did corporate brochures. I did public relations photography. I did some advertising photography. I worked for Colorado Business Magazine, Colorado Lifestyle, Sunset Magazine. Along the way, at some point, Sunset Magazine hired me for two years. I was their Colorado photographer. But in between any chance I had, I was climbing the mountains. I was spending six hours on my belly in a field of wildflowers and exploring as much as I could. And that love for nature that I had from way, way back was still there. And I thought, all this corporate work, all this other stuff isn't filling my soul. Mm. It's putting money in the bank, well, not really putting money in the bank, but paying the bills, you know, and right. feeding me. But it was like, no, no, I've got to change this up again. So I started putting the word out to places that would hire me for recreational photography so I could get to do some mountain biking and hiking. And I started doing stories for Sunset Magazine where it was a, a pack trip in the Weminute Wilderness, and I did a llama trek for them. And those were adventures that were really great assignments because now I'm out in my element. I'm hiking, I'm seeing beautiful scenery, and I'm getting to make pictures of it as well as the people hiking, you know, Mm. and the llamas and they were cute. So, you know, that was all fun and part of it. So that kind of got me back on a track towards my landscape and nature photography And I was also teaching workshops way back then, sort of from the time I started my business as a photographer, I guess I thought I had something to say. (laughs) 
And I was teaching workshops and I was brand new in the business, but I was teaching people how to make better pictures. Mm -hmm. And there's always somebody that wants to learn that that is below the skill level you're at. So I got in touch with a couple of the camera stores that were in Denver and Boulder, and I put flyers out and said, this is what I'm doing. And I started doing these little weekend workshops where we would go out in the field on Saturday. They'd turn their film in. We'd meet Wednesday night after we got film back, and we'd meet at my apartment, and we'd critique the photos. And then that was the end of the workshop. And then it grew and grew from there where I was doing five-day workshops. So, That's awesome. So yeah. through that through that journey of personal discovery and also risk taking, how did you kind of refine your vision for how you wanted to um, take what direction you wanted to take your images? Well, also a loaded question. You're really good at these. <laughs> <laughs> I try. Um, yeah, no, that it's good because um, I would have to honestly say that discovering my vision or refining my vision is an ongoing journey for me. I don't. I hope that it will never be over because the process of learning to see in fresh ways and even attempting different subject matter, like your boulder, you're known for your big, beautiful landscapes and mountain vistas and so forth, you know, and, and I don't think of you in terms of the real close in intimate work, but how exciting that you're exploring that. Because yeah. I think that whether you stick with that or not, and I say you collectively, meaning sure. myself included, or any of us, whether we stick with it or not, we're expanding our our abilities to see more deeply and refining if that if that's not it, then it further helps refine what is it for us, mm. what makes your heart sing, you know? Mm -hmm. And I will say that my refinement or my style and vision has really developed on its own quite naturally by allowing myself to photograph the things that I'm drawn to and not necessarily photographing the things that I think I should be photographing. Mm -hmm. Stock photography was an area that I made a fair amount of money in back in the day. <laughs> and yeah. And so um, I don't want to start crying. So <laughs> but it's definitely a different business now. But oh you know, stock photography, um, it, it kind of you 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 ran the risk of shooting what would sell, right. shooting what they would accept into the library. And so you were trying to be all things, you know, and, and you, or you were at risk of becoming a photographer that tried to do too many things. And, and I was guilty of that for a while. And so it, gradually I found myself uh, working to get into stock agencies that were really looking for beautiful nature scenes, mm. knowing full well that they might not make as much money as a lifestyle shot with hikers in the landscape, you know, mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. but still feeling much more comfortable in my place of just photographing 
the beauty of nature and what I saw that was awesome and wonderful. And that made me happier. So um, over time, I just was trying to be true to myself. What, what gets me excited? And the, the big landscape does, but the intimate landscape really does for me. In fact, Sarah Marino, I have not met her, but boy, we have, we've come close, <laughs> passed in, in Death Valley a few times, but I really can't wait to meet her in person. She, I feel like she's a kindred spirit in terms of her eye for seeing the intimate. Oh yeah. She's, she's awesome. You'll have a yeah. great time. Yeah. Her. And, you know, I love her work and, and, it, and I resonate with it because, and, and that's, that's the thing. I mean, it, when you, I mean, for you, what is it for you? When you look at somebody's work, who, maybe not so much who, but what is the work that grabs your heartstrings? Yeah, for me, it's, it's always scenes that, um, that I want to experience myself and that I'm kind of, I'm kind of envious that, that, that that they were able to be in that place in that moment and, and that that moment won't ever exist again. And, but, but it's, but it motivates me to want to go to that place or see something similar. So, you know, I'm, I'm drawn to photographers um, that, that shoot similar, you know, scenes that I like to shoot, like, like Jack Brower and, and Kane Engelbert, you know, people that like to get up into the mountains and, and photograph, right. um, those types of scenes and the places that, that I'm most connected to emotionally. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah. I'm finding myself more and more drawn to desert Southwest scenes. I'm finding myself more drawn to those intimate landscapes. I think the challenge with intimate landscapes that I've run across is that it's really hard to convey um, an experience with that image. Um, not necessarily like an emotional experience Sure. But when it's disconnected from, uh, you know, the, the broader scene that you, that you find mm -hmm. that particular image in, um, it's hard to connect it with an experience that you yourself might have. Um, true. Very true. Yeah. I mean, I look at the intimate landscapes as for me, images that shout out, look at me, Right. Yes, the, the grand landscape is wonderful, but that grand landscape is made up of millions of pieces of things like me. Right. <laughs> that, you know, and, and, and the intimate view is often trod on, you know, we walk right. across it, you know, and it's like, <laughs> no, you pass this right by it. yeah, yeah, you pass by it. And so um, for me, it's been about, you know, for that, for the intimate view, it's about saying, look, look how wonderful and beautiful this is as well. Yeah. You know? So, um, but it is hard to, to express an experience. Hopefully in the intimate work, you're expressing or awakening the realization of beauty in the small scene. That oh, there for sure. is that so sense. much there that, you know, if we take the time to look a little closer, look a little bit more intimately and feel a little bit more of an intimate connection with nature as well. 
Well, then I know, we'll you know, see. like when you're looking for those types of images, you, it, you almost have to, you know, slow way down mm-hmm. and be much, much more aware of your surroundings and how you feel and like what, what the light is doing on things that you're not normally looking at carefully. And what I've found in trying to make uh, photographs um, that are more intimate is that um, you, you have a deeper connection and appreciation of a place, um, but it doesn't necessarily convey an experience in the final image for me. So, so for me, it's like you have this huge benefit of, of it representing uh, um, like how you felt and what you really liked about a place, but you don't necessarily also be able to see in the photograph Oh, like that was a huge hike I did that day or whatever, you know, like, yeah. Um, and I don't, and I don't necessarily think, you know, everyone's going to attribute importance to imagery in different ways. Like maybe other people don't think ph- photography that can convey an experience is important and that's fine. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But for me, it, like that's, um, that's consistently the type of photography that I'm drawn to is ones that can make me go, wow, I bet that was freaking awesome to be there and now i want to go hike too like i want to do that now myself yeah so well you um, know it really all stems back to something that ansel adams said a while ago and in in it it's basically that you don't make and i'm paraphrasing but you don't make pictures with just a camera you bring to the act of photography all the pictures you've seen the people you've loved the music you've heard the books you've read and in other words, you're looking at life through the filter of your own experiences. Mm-hmm. And so in your case, your experiences with your dad and with friends and hiking and having these amazing experiences at the top of the world, literally, right. <laughs> you know, those, those are, <clears throat> they're so special and they make you feel so good. It's like you know, it's it's an adrenaline rush, and um, and you want you want more of that because that's your connection to the world. And, yeah, absolutely. And mine has been a mix, and it and it still is a mix for me. I mean, I love the grand landscape, but I'm so excited. I can't. You know, it's kind of like you can't help yourself. <clears throat> <laughs> where. You know, I'm I'm going up the trail, and all of a sudden, like, oh my gosh, look at this! You know, right? <laughs> and I have to stop and photograph it. So, you know, if I if I'm mission driven to get to the top of a mountain, I'm going to be probably in trouble um, if I find something, or I have to say, like you did earlier, you know, keep going, get get the peak. And then if you have time, work your way down and make pictures on the way back, or gosh, you know, tomorrow you can just walk part way up and get that picture, you know, right. Right. <laughs> you didn't get, yeah. So, you know, there is that if you have enough time in an area that you can go back and revisit a spot because you've seen something that you couldn't take the time to do. You know, yeah, it's funny. Well, uh, this past fall, um, a group of friends and I spent probably two nights, two, three nights at this particular campsite um, near Crested Butte in Colorado. And we, we found ourselves going back over and over again to this particular uh, meadow. Well, I don't even think you can call it a meadow. It was more like just a forest filled with trees. Um, mm-hmm. 
with a trail and it's in the wilderness. And <clears throat> but we kept going back to it because every time we would wander through the forest, we would, we would each kind of find something new that kind of grabbed our attention. And, and, but, but we always left thinking like, oh, I know I missed something. I know there's more. And so we kept going back and back and back <laughs> and, and it yields like really positive results. And actually, um, my friend Kane and I, we've gone back to this particular forest. Um, it's probably only, gosh, I don't know, two square football fields in size. I mean, it's not a huge forest, mm-hmm. um, but it's packed full of stuff that is of interesting. opportunity. And it, yeah, yeah. Isn't that exciting when you find a place like that? And, and there's more places out there than we even realize that are, are just rich with potential. And, um, and you don't, you don't know until you really spend some quality time with it and you get to know the place and every day the light's going to be different and you're going to be different every day. So one day you might have some mental baggage that you're not getting rid of and you're not seeing the forest for the trees. Pun intended. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, that was a good one. Oh, I had to throw that in. But, you know, it's true that, you know, depending on how, how ready we are from day to day, we're going to see differently. And some days, you know, you've probably had this. I, I come home sometimes and I think, I didn't, I couldn't see anything. Oh, yeah. I, I, I just, it wasn't there. And it's like, what's wrong with me? Well, right. what's wrong with me is I had other stuff going on, apparently, either uh, physically or mentally, and I just wasn't on my game, it, you know? And so I, I wasn't open, or I'd see something and go, oh, that's nice. <laughs> and later, <laughs> just be so mad that I didn't take the time yeah. to photograph it. But at the moment, it was like, uh I don't know. I'm not, it's nice, but I'm not really seeing it. Right. You know, and I, and I, and then I get mad because, you know, I know that I could have done better. Right. You know, I think it's interesting because we talked earlier about um, going to places that require significant physical or mental effort um, to get the photograph. But I think oftentimes that doesn't necessarily um, yield a better photograph because of what you're just talking about, because you're tired, because your mind is on something else, like Mm -hmm. you're hungry and, or you're tired or you're, you're sore. And so like all of those things become, become barriers to creativity. So it's this interesting balance that we find ourselves in, in terms of making unique images, um, but not finding ourselves in a place where it was just ridiculous to get to. <laughs> right. Right. I know. I, I totally agree. Um, I mean, that's why I, I love being able to stay out overnight in camp if I yeah. can, because then I can rest up and, and be there. I hate it when you just arrive someplace and the light is going ballistic and you're like panting. Right. <laughs> I would be panting anyway, but you know, you're just like, Oh really? No, I need a little time to get it together and you don't have time and so you do your best, but it's really lovely if you can stay for a couple of days and, yeah. and like you said, revisit and just e- explore the possibilities. And, you know, see, seeing the potential, a lot of my workshop students will, will say, well, how do, you, how do you find your pictures? And that's, that's really not an easy thing to answer because... Mm-hmm. Often the pictures find you if you're in the right frame of mind and you're putting yourself out in a place of most potential. Yeah. 
then they're going to present themselves. Mm-hmm. They just it just happens. Um, if I'm going out specifically for a destination or a photo that I have in mind, that's something else. But a lot of times they just sort of show up and yeah. it has to do with the light. I mean, and recognizing the potential of a scene, you know, talking about going back to that forest that you spent a couple of days in, you knew that there was lots there, but each day you were going to see it a little differently for all those right. reasons that I mentioned. And in addition, the light, the weather conditions were also going to be different so it's like rounding the bend and having a whole new view because the light is different. You were right. there earlier than later or something, you know, and that changes things. And so sometimes I get someplace and I say, well, this is not the light for it, that's for sure. But I can recognize that it would be awesome in certain light or certain better season if if it's a place I'm exploring for the first time. And I keep notes. And I'll also make visual sketches, either with my phone or with my camera. I will make pictures that I will then put in a folder on my computer. And so if I know I'm going back into that area, the Ancampahre, for example, I went through that forest only once initially, um, only once. I had never been there before. And it was really kind of blustery, light uh, weather with light and clouds, but mostly clouds, not really any great, great sun, a couple of, of moments of good light. But you're not necessarily in the right position at the right time because it's a new territory for you. Right. And so I made pictures so that I had a better sense of where I wanted to go to when I went back and hope that the light was going to be good for it. But that was important. So I do these these sketches to help me with remembering the potential of a place. Mm. Yeah, I do the same thing. I, I'll, uh, I'll get my phone out and I'll make a note like, oh, this trail this time of year, this spot, and I'll, I'll, I'll use like Gaia GPS and I'll even like mark a waypoint or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I think that's important because if we, if we just are always on the move to the next best thing, then, you know, we're missing a lot of opportunities. And if they're near enough to us, it's worth going back. I have a state park that's near me and I've been back a couple of times in spring. And each time I discover something new I hadn't seen before on the same trail. And and it's because (laughs) the weather's different or the moss is greener or the ferns have popped out a little more, you know, whatever it is, it's always fun. And we, my girlfriend and I laugh about the fact that we don't really get that far down the trail (laughs) <laughs> but we come away happy and we come away with some really nice photographs and that's what matters most. But, yeah. you know, if, if I, if I just said, Oh, I've done sugar loaf and I'm on to the next state park in the area or whatever, and I don't go back, then I think that I'm, I'm not really doing a place justice. And, and that's a personal choice in my, I mean, it's not like you have to go back places, but for, for sure, me, yeah. I really like revisiting. It's like going to visit old friends in a place that feels good. It's fun to go back. I mean, I think Michael Fry, you know, Michael Fry. Right. 
is, I mean, his, his life is Yosemite. I mean, yes, he does some things outside of the park too, but he has done this incredible body of work as, as some others that, but just in one place, basically. Right. And, and it's always different. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You should mention that I actually just got back from teaching it out of Yosemite and Michael Fry was there as well. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. And, um, it was funny you're talking about, you know, just being open to seeing things in the in the photo sometimes finds you. Uh Alex Noriega and I uh were assigned to teach a class in a meadow that neither of us had ever photographed before. In fact, neither of us had ever photographed Yosemite before. So and oh, I was wow. actually really and, and I was actually really excited about that because I wanted to see how my per, my personal approach um to new locations would translate over to teaching mm-hmm. and it actually was perfect because I found myself like super curious and really excited to see things for the first time, just like students were. And then I could show them like, Oh, look at this tree. Look how, you know, the lights hitting it this way and everything behind it is this way. Um, and I found all kinds of really interesting um, trees and scenes that spoke to me that I thought, we're super unique and you know, it's a super iconic location, but oh yeah, <laughs> we were in like a, I don't know, a football field size field. And probably I looked back at some of my images and I probably made at least three or four images that I felt pretty good about. Um, and none of them were iconic, you know, I was like, Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. yeah but it's so fun to find that kind of stuff. Um, well, and I, I, I have taught many workshops in Yosemite over the years, and I haven't done one now in several years, but I used to do at least one, if not two a year for different seasons. And the biggest, you know, it's, it's, it's a, an easy fill. You say Yosemite National Park and you've got a full workshop, right? What's not to love about that? But I started uh, later in, in the series, I started talking about the uh, photographing beyond the icons Mm. and you know the attendance dropped off for the first one that I offered I wasn't filling it and I think people thought that I wasn't going to show them half dome or the view from tunnel view or something and I had to kind of rethink that and write Uh it where okay we are going to do some of the iconic things because if people are coming to Yosemite and they've never been there they're excited about seeing some of these classic vistas and I get it but I didn't want that to be the emphasis I wanted to go into a meadow like you just described and say, all right, here we are in a forest, or here we are in a meadow, and this is where we're going to work to make our most creative pictures that have no icon in them at all. And that's part of a workshop. That's part of learning to see right where you are, because it's too easy to look at the big vista. I mean, granted, it isn't always the right light or weather, but you know, there, there are some places that are so iconic that it's hard to make a bad picture unless it's <laughs> right. midday, you know, or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I didn't want people to be caught up with all the visions of the icons rumbling around in their head. And now they're trying to make their picture. Those are the hardest pictures to make your own. Right. You know, they, they really are. And so it's, it's, 
it's it's better to have a balance. So I'm excited that you had that assignment that they stuck you in a meadow. <laughs> That's just yeah, great. Yeah, no, it was awesome. <laughs> Well, and I was, it was actually, um, I actually had to teach at Tunnel View three mornings in a row, Okay, um, which, you know, in winter, Tunnel View, no clouds in the winter. It's not the uh-huh. best place to, you know, make a photograph, but I was still able to show people like, okay, get out your telephoto lens. Let's look over here. I mean, yeah, the classic views down there, but let's look over here. Check this out. You have these trees, you have these rocks, you have this kind of leading line, you know, you can find stuff pretty much anywhere, but you have to be open to it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and I did one time I did uh, bring everybody up there and say, okay, we are here and we're coming back (laughs) to this point. But today you're up here and you are not going to photograph the iconic view. You're going (laughs) to find something else, which is basically what you just described. And they, and I'm sure I was like, Okay, they're never coming back to work with me. <laughs> right. But in the end, they loved it because it challenged yeah. them. And it was a five day class. So it was good. I, and I, I used to teach uh, for Rocky Mountain School of Photography way, way back. And so um, some of the wor- workshops that I did with them, I put those challenging assignments mixed in with the icons. And, mm-hmm. and people just loved it because it forced them to do something different. Well, not only that, but I mean, that's how you become a better photographer. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, at some point, if you want to grow beyond, you know, taking the photo that someone else has already taken, you got to, you got to grow those, you got to grow that creative side. You got to see the world differently. Yeah. And the photograph is an expression of how you feel in that moment about what you're seeing. And you're trying to use the camera as a writer would use words to describe the experience. Right. And so you're describing it visually. And, and, you know, if you, if you're just pointing and shooting at the icons, you know, you, there's no guarantee you're going to get a, a, a great picture. And even if you do, does that speak as strongly to the experience of being in, let's say, Yosemite, as some of the other pictures that you make might. Right. And so, you know, I, I take delight in really going down the other path, going away from some of the iconic vistas and formations and so forth to find my own personal Zion or my own personal Death Valley. And mm. that's, it's not easy. I mean, we all go to the dunes in Death Valley. What's not to love about the sand dunes? Right. But I try to see them in my own way. Right. And, and, and let the magic of that particular visit come through in the photograph somehow. And hope well, that it does. I mean, what's great about sand dunes is that it, it's a lot easier to get a unique image of a sand dune than it is of a, something like tunnel view, you know, because. Yes. Yeah. You, exactly. You, have, you just have more elements that are dynamic that change and shift and aren't as static. Yeah. 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 Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So. Tell us a little bit about um, your latest book and some of the workshops you have coming up. Sure. Well, Expressive Nature Photography was built on the idea 
of my feelings about making your pictures really express how you felt uh, or express what you were finding awesome and interesting in the moment. And so the book really has a lot of different sections. One is about finding your own vision, sort of finding your voice. Mm. And I give ideas as to how you might go about doing that, one of which is actually writing down observations of a place that you're visiting. What is it that you're seeing and feeling and smelling and hearing and and, and all of that wrapped together may be a way that you get in touch with how you might photograph that place as well as techniques of slow shutter and um, using visual depth and other things like that to make your pictures more dynamic and stronger in composition. And um, so the book really, it's, it's been the core of what I've been teaching, and it came out of that, that the, the book developed. Mm. And um, workshop-wise, uh, let's see, uh, Colorado Plateau was coming up at the end of April. Um, trying to think here where, well, I, in March, I'm actually doing what, all, what else I also photograph, which is wildlife. I have two back-to-back trips in Botswana. Very oh, wow. excited about those. So we'll be sitting in Jeeps a fair amount, but hopefully seeing some wonderful scenes. And again, wildlife in the big landscape is just as important to me as having a headshot of a lion. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll take everything that we can from those experiences. So that's going to be really terrific. And then after that is the Colorado plateau. And then, um, uh, upcoming this summer, I'm not so sure I've got on the schedule in a coast, a Southwest coast of Ireland and also uh, the Dolomites in uh, Italy, which are absolutely stunning. Mm. And, and then Namibia in August. So kind of the list goes on. And it's a changing list, you know, and, and they're always changing because some fill, some don't fill, and I'm always adding new ones. And so the best way is just to have, you know, a visit to my website and look up under the workshops and tours where people can see what I'm doing. And I've thrown some, you know, like as, as I get time, I'll throw local workshops in there too. So last year I did a flower, a one day flower photography workshop, and it was macro and creative vision on photographing flowers. So um, we'll we'll definitely, we'll definitely put a link to your to your website in the show notes so that people oh, can great. F- learn more about those workshops and your book as well. Yeah, yeah. Terrific. Awesome. Really yeah. really appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. So we need cr- another two hours. <laughs> <laughs> There's know, always right? so much to talk about, right? I'm just well, yeah, I feel like we're just rolling here. Well, I do have an idea for something we can talk about after this that we can share with our Patreon supporters over on Patreon. So um, oh, okay. When, we're, when yeah. we're done with this and uh, it'll be fun. But uh, who would you recommend uh, for the podcast? Well, you've really got so many great speakers already on for conversations that it, it was kind of hard. I had this list going and then I was like, nope, nope, they've already done them, done them. <laughs> <laughs> so I was scratching out on my list. But there's a, a local guy. His name is Jerry Dodrill. 
Uh And he's a landscape photographer and fine art photographer. In fact, he's got a show up at our local Laguna Foundation, which is a watershed uh, foundation. And um, really, really lovely work. He is a mountain climber and an adventure photographer and really all around nice guy. I have had a chance to know him for a couple of years now, and we actually worked together on the Moab Photographers Symposium. Oh, cool. In 2016, we were both keynote speakers, and so that was really fun. And yeah, they shut that down, didn't they? Not yeah, doing that yeah they did. Yeah. yeah, And someone else who had attended it started up the Sedona Photographer right. Symposium, which is a, basically a copy of that format. That's cool, though. <laughs> but Bruce had been doing it for years, Bruce Hucko. And he's another photographer, actually, that you might want to check it. He teaches art, uh, coaches art at the local school in Moab. Mm. But he is a fine art and a fine photographer as well. And, um, yeah, really great guy. He's friends with Guy Tal as mm. well. So, awesome. um, yeah, and they've done some things together. And so um, he might have stopped the symposium because it was just a lot of work after several years. But he has not stopped photographing, and his work is really lovely. And, um Also, an Irish photographer that I've had the pleasure of working with, um, Peter Cox. Mm. He does beautiful landscapes of the Irish coast, the rugged coastline of the southwest area. He has a gallery in Killarney, um, all-around great guy. And he's been doing some really wonderful new work using drones very different approach to the landscape in that case, but showing us what the coast of Ireland looks like from out over the water. So it's not like a really super high elevation drone shot, but Mm. rather just using it to be able to hang in air where we physically can't hang to get the (laughs) shot. Right. (laughs) So, um, so pretty incredible stuff. So. And then a woman that I have not met, but I have really admired her work. And that is, I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing it right, but Perry Shalate or Shalat. Yep, yep. <laughs> yep, and really lovely landscape work that I've been seeing. And, uh, you know, just everything that I've read about her uh, looks like she could be a really interesting gal to get on board. And we have to get another woman in there, you know, in the list. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I've been talking to, to Perry. For a while now, she's, uh, we were, I actually, um, it's kind of funny. I actually went, uh, on vacation this last summer to Montana and I was supposed to do a podcast with her at her house, but, um, we weren't able to make it work, but yeah, I would love to get her on the podcast for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll put out the word and see what I can do to help. <laughs> right. We've put it out there into the universe. So. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome, Brenda, this has been a lot of fun and um, I really had a good time. Great. I did too. I did too. And we've covered a lot of different topics and I just love having these conversations. So I am so honored that we had this opportunity to talk. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, thanks to Brenda for joining me on the podcast for a fantastic discussion. I really enjoyed it. 
And thank you to our latest supporters over on Patreon, including Michael Remke, Andrew Ford, and Josh Meyer. The Patreon supporters are literally keeping the show afloat. I recently have paid over $2,000 for various costs relating to the podcast, so your generosity is really critical for the long-term viability of this project. I appreciate you. If you'd like to join us in supporting the podcast, just head over to patreon.com slash fstop and listen. Well, I always love hearing from listeners and especially our patrons. I'd love to hear why do you support the podcast, and I'd love to see your post about your reasons over on social media or in an email to me. Thanks for staying in touch. All right. Well, before we get to the upcoming guest list, I wanted to remind listeners that my good friend Gary Randall still has some workshop openings for his 2020 Columbia River Gorge workshops. You could not meet a nicer guy than Gary, and he is possibly the most knowledgeable photographer when it comes to the Columbia River Gorge, which also happens to be one of my favorite places in North America. Check it out by going to gary-randall.com or following the link in the show notes. All right, let's talk about who's coming up on the podcast. So next up is my podcast recording with J. Henry Fair. He was the winner of the Landscape Photography Conservation Award here on F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen. And buckle your seatbelts because Henry spoke from the heart on some very controversial and political topics. (laughs) We also have Scott Walton coming soon. I'm actually recording with him here in about an hour. He is a photographer from Ohio who supposedly has some really interesting stories about photographing various celebrities. And, of course, he is a landscape photographer as well. We also have uh, Mei Zhu. She is a photographer from Colorado with some absolutely incredible work. Uh, We're going to be recording with Nikolai Alexander. He is an interior designer. Uh, Jaron Schneider. He is a filmmaker working as a freelancer. We have Clay Bolt, the former uh, president of Nampa and a well-known conservation photographer. We have John Barkley. He is a well-known photographer who leads workshops focused on mindfulness. And we have Christian Fletcher, a photographer from Australia. All right. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.